0: Valentin Hinov is the founder of Thankbox, a digital solution for group cards. This episode, he speaks about how to set yourself up for success, funding your startup, and how to use the power of your network.
1: I've had a few shots before it. I had a pretty big one that I I tried just before Thankbox. It was a social media app called Curated that was kind of aimed at people sharing their favorite media. So think, you know, your favorite podcasts, your favorite books, your favorite movies. And it had a really nice premise. It even, you know, we got featured by Google for a little while, but I didn't know that much about startups at that point. I didn't know that much about marketing and and how to measure metrics and all of that. So even though it had good potential, I don't think my partner and I at the time had the necessary skills to push it to where it needed to be. And that doesn't even count the fact that social media apps are generally quite hard, especially when you don't have any outside funding. So uh, I learned a lot of expensive (laughs) lessons there and uh, thankfully have managed to apply at least some of them to Thangbox, which is what I've been doing for the past two years.
0: Yeah. So where do you get your startup ideas from? Because I'm assuming Thankbox, because it started at the beginning of the pandemic, you were a bit like, oh, people can't sign cards or anything. You know, this can't happen in person. Like, you know, it's it's already hard enough as it is passing a card around the office. But now there's no office. How will people do these things? Actually, the idea of Thankbox appeared well before the pandemic. Like uh, I, I've had like
1: um, bits of it kind of ping ponging in my brain quite before that and mainly because i i i used to work as a contractor and actually still uh, still do a bit here and there um and i've worked in so many different teams and i've seen just the frustration of organizing like a nice car for someone mm. even though it's a really nice thing to do even when we were all in the office it was just always like last minute hassle to to sign and to do a collection so i had the idea of, about it in, in, in 2019 even started kind of prototyping it a little bit but it was the catalyst of the of the pandemic that really just made it scream in my head, basically, as this is this is the time to do it. And I mean, I had it initially written down in a Evernote folder. I have an Evernote not notebook, just called product ideas. Yeah,
0: every every good entrepreneur has that that lovely folder where ideas either go to die or to be started later or you go, oh, this one's really good when I find this. And then when I have the time for that, I'll get to it. But In your case, you, you got to where you're at now and you were like, right. The pandemic started, oh, this idea has to, has to happen now. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was urgent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, not only that, but it satisfied a few requirements that I had for myself at the time. Mm. So after my, my previous startup, I, I knew that I wanted to do something that I will do quickly that I could prototype quickly, like, um, in a couple of months and. I wanted it to be something that i could self-fund like bootstrap myself because just raising funding isn't something that i wanted to do at the time or right now i'm not against raising funding in general but just with the type of life lifestyle that i want to i want to lead it was just it was just not for me so Thankbox just ticked those boxes for me and it helped me commit to it fully if, if that makes sense
0: yeah so when you're bootstrapping or self-funding, were you kind of using savings or were you using like your, your active income to like, you know, fund what was going on now? Or were you kind of just on one of those ones where it's like, right, I can do X, Y, Z for free. And as long as I get a few customers in the next three to six months, this thing is kind of ticking itself over. So it was a mix of active income. Um, I was still kind of doing
1: contract work at, at the time and a bit of savings. So basically, you know, I had an honest conversation with my partner. We, you know, we said, okay, this is how much we will be willing to put aside every month Mm -hmm. until hopefully it gets to profitability. And yeah, just be real honest in in, uh, how much uh, you can set aside. You know, I'm not a early twenties, you know, throw caution to the wind type. I have a, you know, I have a house. I have a, I have a family. So financial stability was important to me. So I will i kind of saw it as a measured risk mm-hmm. um and i set myself some limits isn't you know i give myself an X amount of time i think at the start was like a year and a half until at least it starts paying for itself it might not pay for my for me for, for my time mm. but it can pay for everybody else that i, I have on it and all the other expenses mm. um around it and you know thankfully it took about 10 months but it it did it did reach that goal at at the start of last year
0: yeah i think it's definitely one of those things where when you put a time constraint on things it, it it adds pressure but at the same time it gives you a reason to do what you're doing some people go oh you know i started this startup okay cool what's the timelines what's going on and no one ever really has an answer they kind of just go oh well it'd be nice to get to this number of users or this number of revenue yeah by when why do you know what I mean like there's, there's no reason why or when and you're just like look I've got a family, I've got a kid, you know, I'm doing this. And as much as I want this to become my income, I want it to sustain itself. And then that way it can build itself is kind of what I'm getting from what you said. Yes, yes.
1: There's a few more things I can add there. So first off is have correct expectations, at least initially, you know, doing a startup is hard. You obviously have to set deadlines by, you know, by like, for example, like if, if if it's not to a certain point, or even close to a certain point within a year, maybe reevaluate. But at the same time, don't set unrealistic expectations. Like, you know, I'm going to make 10,000 pounds in the first month Mm. because you're just setting yourself up for success. I mean, initially when I started, I said, you know, wouldn't be nice if I can sell like five cards in a day, Mm. or I could make, you know, a hundred quid in a month, you know, that, that would be nice. That would Mm. feel nice. And then, and then once you get to that, you say, okay, maybe, maybe let's try, you know another 50% growth for, for the next month. I almost, like, in my mind, I I quite consciously kept my goals low just so I can achieve them and then just trick myself in, in, into the, into a state of mind that, okay, I'm actually doing better. This is progressing. Mm. Just so you can survive, especially that initial slog of, you know, of when you've just launched and you're struggling to find users can be very demoralizing mm. so it's important to set achievable
0: goals throughout but especially at the start yeah so so day one of thankbox you were is your background in tech like coding is, is what
1: yeah right? yeah so i yeah i'm a tech founder
0: so you were you were building out the we're you building out the website from scratch like i'm, I'm trying to understand like, is thankbox kind of like you've got the the landing page and then in the back end it's a whole bunch of people doing things or is it like mostly just it's all tech. You kind of go in, you do what you want to do, you pay and then it's, it's all handled in the machine type thing. Like, what what were you building on day one? Or did you even not like, really know the scope of what you're building on day one? So in terms of the tech,
1: yeah, as a, as a you know, s- software as a service, you know, SaaS business, it is entirely automated. You know, that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea of software businesses. That's why they're nice because they the costs do not scale l- linearly. Mm-hmm. So you know everything is fully automated. you know when you go to the box and, and create your card, send it uh, send it to people to collect messages and then finally pay and send it to the to the recipient all that is completely automated and it should be because otherwise it would be completely <laughs> you know people people send three thousand messages a day you know it's it, it's not going to be manageable otherwise. In terms of how I set out to build it, I actually, at the start, uh, I didn't have much experience in building websites. Like my background was actually in mobile apps. Mm -hmm. So what I did at the start was I approached a very good friend of mine who had a lot of uh, experience building websites and services and and databases and everything like this. Mm -hmm. And I had a chat with him about it. And he offered to build the initial version for free in exchange uh, exchange for a future profit sharing agreement, which was great for me because it de- risked it quite a bit um, because I didn't have the funds to invest in, in, a, in a developer. You know, developers are expensive. Yeah. Um, and secondly, it allowed me to, um, to basically shadow my, uh, my friend and learn from him mm. about how he was doing things so that once he actually had built out the initial version and I was going to be in charge of maintaining it, I had the necessary skills to do it Mm -hmm. and 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 it it worked out quite nicely and you know right now it's also working quite uh, out quite nicely for him because right now he's making he's he's making more money from the profit sharing side of things than he would have if i had just paid him for it
0: yeah well i'm assuming that that deal goes on for a little length of time which is you know better than what he would have done for however you know short period of time and got paid a little bit now it's like he's making a little bit of money often rather than a lot of money at once type thing or maybe even a little money at once so Exactly. Once you'd built or, you know, had Thankbox built out, you know, it's all ready. You're ready for customers. You've tested it. You've triple tested it. You've even done a bit of thank boxing yourself. I don't know how, how you were, you know, playing around with the website to make it work. Where and how do you find customers? Because that's that's what a lot of people ask, you know, me and a lot of other entrepreneurs when they come across other entrepreneurs. They go, well, how, how are you finding customers? How are you getting business? And as much as some people go, oh, well, if I told you I'd have to kill you, I, you know, it's, I don't feel like telling people how you find customers or, or clients is is gonna take away any business from yourself. You know? Yeah. Well, it it is it is one of the hardest things
1: for a founder. You know, just getting the word out initially. Um, what I did was that even as I was building it, so I started building it out in March, kind of in in public. You know, I had a small Twitter following and and um, uh, you know, people following me on, on LinkedIn. I started mm. posting about it. You know, this is an idea I had. This is you know. How it's how it's spanning out, and just in my in my network, mm. uh, as I said, I had worked in many different companies, so I leveraged a lot of the contacts that I made, um, and especially when Thangbox launched, mm-hmm. uh, I approached all of them and said, "Look, I know all you guys are still working remote. Um, could you give this a shot the next time that you have an occasion?" And that's where a lot of my early customers came, and they were a very and they were the exact type of customers that I needed as well. Because even though you suggested that I triple tested it, that's not really <laughs> how it goes. At least with tech startups. I mean, initially you just you just you know release it and and see what works. You know, there were many things that weren't quite working as intended in the beginning. But the important thing was bringing in people through the door mm. to help you find those those uh, those missing features or those features that don't that don't work quite well. And because I knew a large chunk of the people that were using it initially. They they felt comfortable sharing their feedback mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. Um. So the first three months, even though I didn't have like a huge number of, of customers, the customers I did have were very useful in in, in helping me steer ThankBox to where I wanted it to go. Yeah. Because it. it, it it was a very simple idea. It still is a very simple idea, but when I launched, especially, it, it was this kind of very simple idea that could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to adapt it to where people needed it to be, if that makes sense. And uh, and thankfully, that is what happened. You know, the first few months after launch.
0: So you, once you had your first few customers, you know, let's say you had a hundred customers, yeah. And f- you know, if you get into a, a business and they like what you're doing, let's say a, a business has you know, so a hundred customers is a hundred separate businesses. Each one has like 20 employees that's 20 times a year. They're going to be coming back to use you, but in an ideal world, you don't only want to have those, you know, 2000 odd events in your, in your business calendar. So is it spreading through word of mouth or do you do like paid outreach or all these kind of things? Cause it's, it's always interesting to see how different people, you know, market and promote their businesses.
1: Initially, even with a very small kind of initial seat of customers. Yeah. I could notice the word of mouth effects and then the the so-called networking effects in Mm. in startup speak working their magic and it was fantastic. You know, I could actually track someone receiving a thank box because they were leaving their their work. And then a couple of weeks later, they had made one in their new work for someone else. Yeah. So you could kind of see it spreading that way, which was very exciting for me. Um I knew the potential it had. For, for those networking effects, and actually seeing it happen was very exciting. Right. But obviously, starting from a quite a small number of people mm-hmm. to actually spread it around, it would take quite a while. Yeah. So after the first version of Thangbox was working quite well, you know, after I had spent a few months after release, adding all the features people were requesting and making it stable, right? I, d- I decided to revisit my branding and my value proposition because my landing page at the time was a bit weak. Mm. So I had a very honest conversation with the team we said okay this is this isn't working let's try a complete overhaul mm. and after we did a complete overhaul we decided okay now is the time to start doing some some advertising. Right. And before we had start we had tried doing some social ads we had tried doing like some like some competitions and there wasn't really any any heartbeat there we, we didn't really get any results right but once we had redone our landing page we decided to start uh doing search ads you know google adwords search ads mm-hmm. and that was the thing that was that turned out to be the thing to that that, that worked in this case and it makes a lot of sense in retrospect because say you're in a company and your colleague is leaving you're not going to do anything before that point but at the point that you realize we need a card you're going to go into google and you're going to search online group card yeah obviously i should have i should have realized it sooner but you know within 6 months of release was well, was still quite good so from october 2020 onwards our growth just started skyrocketing because we had a really good landing page to convert and uh, that converted and we had found a good um a good channel to get new users through the door
0: yeah and so I guess we kind of, well, we didn't skip forward. We followed the progression of the journey. But so day one, it's just you and your friend who helped you to, to code the website and get everything going on that end. What was your first hire and why? Because every business has different hires that they make first. Some people hire admin people first. Other people hire sales people. Some of the people hire tech people. So in a, in a SaaS-based startup like Thankbox, who was your first hire? and like What was in your mind when you were hiring this person?
1: So the very first person I started working with was my designer. She was someone that I had worked with before, so she had proven herself as a very, very capable designer to me. And this is like design is a skill that I, that I hopefully lack. (laughs) So um, she was uh, the the person that um, I brought on first. She helped me build out the brand, the voice, the image of Thang Boxing. Is the reason why it looks as nice as it did. Following that. I um, decided to bring on a um, uh, a part time marketing person right. on board because, as I said, my background is in tech, so um, marketing and branding is was an area that I was still quite actively developing at the time. I've gotten a bit better since then, yeah. But I needed I needed someone who was who was better in that area. So that person then helped me very much with um, the rebrand that I had mentioned um, a while before. Uh, Crafting the, the voice of the brand and, and and testing out different different channels to see what would work to bring people through the door mm. um, and Right now uh, That's the team that I have so I have a marketing person, a designer and I also have a, a, a Part-time developer. Yeah, uh, helping out build, build out extra features.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's always it's always interesting to me how SAS founders build out their teams because some people build them out with just bulk you know back-end code people doing that type of thing and then you know unfortunately people that are that way inclined aren't visually minded or aren't thinking about the end consumer they're like oh it works though if you do this and do this and do that it works it's like yeah but what's the brand story how does the person travel through the website or through the software so yeah it, it seems like you've kind of i don't know how or you know or even where you learn these things from like how you've decided to like go through things so logically in a way that makes sense. Is there like books that you read or podcasts or anything that you kind of learn all these things from? Was it kind of just learning on the job? There was a mix of things. The first one is, as I said, um, I had a few failed
1: attempts before. Um, and as I was going through those attempts, um, I started reading up quite a bit on startups. Um, I, I got a lot of great startup books. A few that that come to mind are Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller is a fantastic book. The uh, book about positioning by April Dunford. I'm I'm, I'm skipping on the name, um, and uh, as well Traction, which talks about the different the different channels that you can try to get to get customers through the door. Um, I also started listening to um, to podcasts. Uh, quite a big one is the Indie Hackers podcasts podcast, oh, well, yeah. a podcast which is. Yeah, it 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 it's a great podcast and it's it was very relevant to me because it was uh people going through the same thing that I was. Mm. So all of the all of the experience shared there felt very timely to me. Yeah. And and also I just realized that I can do everything by myself. You know, there's yeah. some startup founders that manage to do uh, their whole startup themselves, especially you know uh, bootstrappers, you know, they do the design, they do the, the customer uh, outreach, they do coding everything, mm. I know where my blind spots are. I know um, the areas that I'm not good at and, 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 and frankly, the areas where, um, that I don't enjoy that much. Mm. So it was more important to, to me to find people to, to help me with those areas, even if it meant getting to profitability slower, because yeah. obviously the more people you have on board, the more you, your product has to make to actually, mm-hmm. to actually be net positive. But that was more important to me because it felt like a better way to build out something.
0: Yeah. Let's say Boxes is, is your most successful startup to date, right? And as you went through each startup that failed, you learned a little thing, you learned a little thing, you learned a little thing. What were the kind of, you know, overarching things that you kept messing up on previously that kind of led you to to be able to be so successful this time around?
1: I think two two come to mind. Mm. One is with my previous ones, I had been a bit more excited about the tech side of things. So I had spent many months just building the startup out without any sort of thought about marketing mm. or you know, customer acquisition yeah. or any of those things. Uh, you know, the naive build it and they will come was strong <laughs> was strong in my mind at that point. And the second one was that just having a clear idea of how it will grow and how it will be monetized yeah. as well, because uh, some of my um in, in initial startups they were just you know free apps, um and I had again naively thought, oh you know once they get to you know, a million customers they will I'll find a way to monetize them.
0: Yeah, you're just you just you'll convert half or you know a small percentage into yeah. paid users or advertising and this and that and you, you weren't thinking about it from the from the get go type thing.
1: No, no, um. Basically, if I can sum it up, I was not thinking as a product person.
0: Yeah, And
1: I think that is the single best decision that I, I had made when starting Thangbox is to force myself to think more as a product person, to think more uh, as my customers would think and not so much as a programmer. Right, Because in the end of the day, if you could have built the best product in the world, the most stable one, but if nobody knows about it, nobody's using it, then it is basically useless.
0: Yeah. So, so how do you shift yourself out of your, you know, programming mindset or, you know, your tech based mindset into the consumer side of things?
1: That's a, that's a really
0: good question. So doing some user interviews ha-
1: helped out and I could do some of them initially when I had the, 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 the first idea of Thankbox, I, I could talk to, to, to people that, I thought could use it. It's a, a bit harder now with the pandemic, but but even so, even when when Thangbox started, everybody who was using it initially, I would just be I would just be spending you know half of my day just emailing them, trying to, to trying to get them to talk to me, tell me about the things they liked, things that they didn't. I I, j- I just basically forced myself to say, look, I'm only going to spend time building a feature. Um I'm only going to spend time coding if I know that it's gonna bring value to the product um especially as a bootstrapper, that skill is vital because you're trying to do a few things at once, so the things that so those things better bring bring back value yeah i think yeah, I think that was the most important thing
0: okay so as well as that, you're now you know technically. A manager, you know, you're you're the founder of a company, so you've got people that are working alongside you to get you, essentially your vision complete. And I, I'm always interested how different people manage a team or people that they work with. Are you one of those people that's kind of like, uh, you know, I've hired you to do a job, just do the job, and you know, I'll let you do your thing, or do you have your hand in in a bit of everything, or do you have like an overarching creative view of things?
1: I think I slide in between those uh, those two <laughs> those, those two types. For certain roles, like, for example, with my designer, I have full faith in what her vision for the product is. So I tell her that I need this, and um, I just let her design it. She 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 comes back with a finished thing. And very rarely, I offer a few revisions um, because she knows what to do, and it, and, 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 it, and it works fine. So for her, that's the way that uh, I do it. With, uh, for example, with my marketing hire, um, there's a, a lot more conversation there. We, you know, we bounce ideas around quite, uh, quite a lot, discuss, you know, potential content ideas, potential PR outreach, um, and, uh, and and all of that. And um, so you can say I'm a bit more micromanagement in the, on, on 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 that side. I think my overall strategy is find out what what works best for the person. So it, obviously, when you get someone new, it, it it takes a while for you to know them. But find out what what works best for them, and even you know even just ask them mm-hmm. you know I have asked people you know how do you work best mm-hmm. do you, do do you do you just want to be left alone um and do your work and come back when it's finished, yeah. or would you like to have a bit more of a discussion for it and people are usually quite open yeah to uh, to sharing that, I think frankly because they're not it's not usually a question that they get asked,
0: yeah yeah most people get hired and it's kind of like this is your job go do your job and you know once you're done come come chat to me type of thing but I've, i think most employers are, are waking up to the fact now that when you're employing somebody you're employing a person you know, you're not you're not employing a robot to do a, a job or you know that type of thing so i'm glad that you said you know well one person works this way another person works that way I guess in kind of having that that level of awareness, then I, I want to ask you this: Is it, are there times that you've made a decision, either with ThankBox or one of your previous startups, that you wish had gone differently? Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, if you don't have a few regrets along the way, you're lying to yourself. Um, and I say, and I say that fully knowing that. Each one of those things that I that I regret have helped me to get to where I am, and I and 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 I like I like where I am. I think one of my biggest uh, regrets is just not not realizing some mistakes faster, because I I have repeated a few mistakes a few times. I even continue repeating some of the mistakes. <laughs> yeah. um, um, before actually realizing and saying, okay, look, the cycle has to stop. You have to do it. You have to do it quicker. And uh, and a part of me is always, oh, you know, if you had just figured this out a while ago, maybe you could have grabbed like a bigger chunk of the market. You know, um, case in point, um, I keep thinking, okay, maybe if I could figure out that search ads were the thing to use for Thangbox right from the start, we could have gotten a lot of that early early pandemic traffic Mm. and, and be in a much better spot right now. But obviously, th- th- there's no use in uh, crying over
0: spilled milk. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. And so, wh- what was your kind of biggest takeaway from from that learning experience? There is it kind of one of those ones. Where it's like I should act now on certain things, or I should be, you know, more more open to to trying out different things. Like, what was what What did you take away from it? I think the biggest lesson that I have is try not to lie to yourself. Yeah.
1: Try to be honest with where where your product is and where it's going. That I think mainly involves measure the things that are important for your product. So measure the KPIs that you want, uh, 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 that you need, and keep an eye on how they move as you do changes. Don't just blindly think that your product is doing well. And I can give you, again, an example of how I messed that up with my previous startup when we launched it shortly after. We managed to get featured into the Google Play Store, which was giving us a huge amount of users every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were thinking, great, we're set. You know, a lot of people are coming in through the door. Yeah. But what we didn't know at the time, because we we didn't know much about, you know, measuring analytics and all that, was that a lot of the users that were coming in yeah. were just leaving shortly after because they didn't find the app engaging enough. Yeah. Um, but because you we were just looking at the total number of users at that point naively um we were thinking that we were we were doing great so when that feature inevitably ended we were left with a barren wasteland of a of a user base um and if we had uh, figured out earlier okay people aren't really engaged let's find out what the problem is let's see if we can if we can get them to
0: to, to stay for longer it could have been a different story mm. okay right so I guess now you're, you're kind of more of an aware entrepreneur. You're, you're a lot more conscious of who you're employing, why you're employing them, why you do what you do, watching the processes and, and things that you kind of, you know, are putting into your business. How do you ba- balance, you know, work and life? Because I, I have a phrase that I like to say. I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast before, but I'll say it now for you. There is no work-life balance. There's just simply life. But you have a lot that is, going on. That is 100% true. <laughs> you have a lot going on. You have a family. You said you have a wife and a, a child or children. And, you know, having contracting and doing a startup, those take up a lot of single people's time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Let alone a married family man. So how how do you find that sweet spot and that balance? Um, you,
1: you know, I, I think it is a constant a struggle, but I, I have um tried to do a few hard rules for myself. Mm. Um. Uh, the main one being try and on the evenings have at least one hour set aside. It's just family time. Mm. You know, if, if I have to do some work, and even if I have to do some work in the evenings, I I, I try and have it not be like fully engaging, you know, d- uh, deep work, mm. because I still want to be present for my wife and my daughter. And also I try and do absolutely no work on the weekends. Yeah. The people that uh, I have on the team, if they want to work on the weekends, that's totally fine, but i I try and free up the weekends because rest time is important to me, yeah, I fully believe that your brain needs to rest, it needs different experiences, you can't just be thinking about work all the time, mm. and the process of doing that actually makes you more productive when you finally do you do come back to work, yeah and as well, you know, I want to minimize future regret, I don't want to um, come back. In 20 years and say, you know, I should have spent a lot more time with my family and doing fun things in in my 30s and, and 40s than um than just doing work.
0: Yeah. Oh, most definitely. And you, you kind of touched on something here with, about, you know, giving yourself rests and and breaks from work. Have you ever had a point in time where you've burnt out, you know, either in one of your startups or in some contract work? And how do you kind of deal with that burnout? I definitely have had. A period of burnout. Um, even with Angbox, had a
1: had a, a a a very big period of um, burnout last year. Just as it was like really scaling up and it was getting going, and a lot of people uh, were coming in. I just felt like completely overwhelmed. I had to kind of break some of the rules that I just said just to kind of keep my head above w- water for a few weeks. Yeah. And afterwards, when things kind of come down, I just you know I just told uh, myself, look, there's just for a for a week. Try not to think about it. Try not to do anything that you, you don't have to do to completely detached because what I want to avoid is hating the thing that I've made. Right. Because if I don't enjoy what I'm working on mm. um, and burnout is a very easy way to get you to not enjoy what you're working on and even hate it, then I will not do it. I'm the type of person where if I'm not fully engaged and committed and interested in what I'm doing, yeah, I'm delivering 50%. Right. But if I am you know, full engaged, I'm bought in, I know what I know what to do, I'm at a hundred I'm I'm at hundred and
0: fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's more about enjoying what you're doing, more so than kind of just being like, Oh, it's just gotta get done, it's just gotta get done type thing. Yes. I'm just I'm just not good at slogging through. Yeah, I don't think most people are. Most people pretend like they are like, oh yeah, I'm good at getting hard things done. But really, it's really difficult to get hard things done, especially if you're not enjoying it. So what, what do you find enjoyable in what you do? Like, What is the kind of things that you will see in a job or in a startup idea that will make you be like, wow, yeah, I'm really passionate about this. I think the most important thing is how it is perceived by
1: the customer's targeting and how is it improving their life very early on with uh, with thankbox i saw the awesome messages people were leaving for their coworkers who were leaving or somebody who had a baby or somebody's you know 50th anniversary and i had people email me and say look i'm so glad that you that you made this and this is possible and you know to me that is like so charging it just shoots up my, my motivation knowing that i'm actually working on something that is making money and is making people happy mm it's just amazing and any product that goes into that space and can get a very engaged and almost loving customer base is super exciting to me like it could be it could be a product that you know um improves spreadsheets but if there's like a hundred people that are super devoted to it and love it then that interests me yeah that makes me think okay what is happening here um that is making these people be so bored and and you know telling all, all all their friends about it, I think that is the magic formula of
0: making any product work and and
1: thrive, yeah
0: okay, so it's it's more of a a customer first approach or customer satisfaction approach first, and then kind of work your way back from that so yeah I' oh, no, if you to say something you Well, can... I, yeah i I just wanted to add um. I I was
1: listening to a, a, a podcast, uh, another podcast um, recently about um, you know measuring your 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 customer satisfaction and um, and and the person who was interviewed said that so many companies when you ask them the reason that they exist less than ten percent of them say that they exist because of their customer mm. and that is the only answer like the only reason <laughs> why your company exists is because you're solving a problem. Yeah, for your customer and making their life better, um, and that and and that and that struck me a lot because I I think this is a belief that I've had for ages as well. I mean, if your company doesn't exist for your customer, then why does it exist?
0: Yeah, it exists well, to to push paperwork around and send emails. That's all it, yeah. is, <laughs> it exists to do. Yeah, so for you and and thankbox right now you know you're in you're in a building stage like yeah, you said you had your your massive uptick of growth, and you know, as with any business, the goal is to keep growing. How do you see thankbox expanding and growing you know what are the things that that could take thankbox from being you know let's let's say you're at x amount of users how do we get that x amount of users up by however many times or you know what what is that thing that you feel like would push you that far? Oh I mean if I if I had discovered that by now <laughs> it would be on that it
1: would be on that uh, trajectory but the honest answer is that it's just a mix of things and uh different experiments that you have to try to see what actually sticks yeah right now i'm in the process of trying to to find another really good customer acquisition channel a- apart from ads and networking effects mm. that can work really well and you know really move the needle when delivering that 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 next step in um in, in terms of growth and that involves you know trying out different things different experiments doing a bit of pr doing uh you know doing maybe ads on different platforms i'm very kind of open to the idea of experimentation to find out what can um what can work even revisiting previously failed attempts mm. because the results might have changed a year later but what I think would be super exciting for me in the future is if Tangbooks kind of crosses into the physical medium. Mm. Right now, Tangbooks is a fully online card. You create it online, you send it online. It's great, but quite a lot of people ask me, you know, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a physical component, like a physical book you can get? And it is definitely something that I want to explore. Yeah, but obviously it's quite tough because then you're going into shipping you're going into a whole lot of kind of area where i have zero experience in i mean my life is software but i can i see it as an as a new area to challenge myself and uh, and explore yeah. so it's it's definitely something that i want to be looking at for the year and i think it will it will especially help in making you know people have more lasting memories of thank Box, which at the end of the day will hopefully bring them
0: back you have a vision and that's that's amazing so I guess one thing I want to ask you, because I'm curious, you're you are like well knowledgeable, you have like clear thoughts about things and you, you kind of go, oh, that didn't work. So I'm going to try this or this is working. OK, cool. We can tweak it like this and make it work even better. Do you have a mentor or do you have somebody that gives you like either business or life advice? Because, you know, to, to be at the level you're at or to be as resilient as you are just as one self-sustaining machine is amazing. But if you had someone else excel to that, that would kind of, you know, I don't know, that would be, that'd be interesting too, to hear how you found that person or, or who that person is.
1: Well, first I want to say, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the uh, shining example of uh, resilience and, and success. You know, I have self-doubts all the time. I have days where I just completely feel like everything I'm doing is wrong and it, this has no future. And I think every entrepreneur feels that way. I think I don't have a I don't have a dedicated mentor, although I kind of wish that I do, and it's probably an area that I, I I want to explore in the future. But I do have other ways that I can get that. I have a few people that I know personally that I reach out to that have helped me along the way, even just in my tech community here where I live in in Edinburgh in Scotland. I have also recently joined an online group of other startup founders yeah. where um we you know we can we have a, a shared telegram group we can chat and every week we have just a call to find out you know how things are and i think that has been especially useful to me because it it gives mm-hmm. me that feeling that there's you know other people in 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 the same boat as me mm. going through the things that uh, i'm going through where you can share you know the pain and the success um and have people really cheer you on or give you advice because um everyone has a different business Um, so I think those two things currently um, are helping me quite a bit okay
0: yeah one thing people never really explain when they're, they're doing all their their big you know press runs for their book and all these kind of successful talks entrepreneurship is lonely as hell like you're on your own doing things for hours and hours on end and there's no one there there's no one who really understands what you're going through and I feel at the moment everybody is like kind of coming out and saying these things of oh you know I spend a lot of time on my own doing a lot of things on my own there's a lot of things happening up here in my head that i can't talk to other people about and then you go to yourself oh, wait. if if i'm running a business and that person's running a business and that we're surely going through something similar and it, it is kind of refreshing to sh- to share those thoughts with someone else because it's it kind of gets it off your chest
1: yeah yeah and i think people new new uh, entrepreneurs they, they need to to find it out i think early Because especially, I mean, uh, like I mentioned before, the early parts of starting a business are the hardest. And statistically, Mm. most startups don't succeed. And you need to get out of the frame of mind of thinking that if you failed, you're a failure. Mm. I think it takes an immense amount of bravery to start something and to put it out there in the world. I mean, just the fact that you've done it. I mean, if, if you've done a little website that's been visited by 100 people, you know, you are you have you have done more than most people have, yeah. and I think that's that's worth that's worth celebrating. Um, and I can also have a, give a little practical tip to people that are maybe thinking of doing this. When I started Tangbox, as I mentioned, I really didn't have much experience in terms of building websites and all of that. So I said to myself, even if this quote unquote fails, you know, even if I had to shut it down at least I would have learned how to build a website, right. which is a skill that I can add to my tool belt. And if I have to go back to full-time contracting, that will make me vo- more valuable. Mm. So that is a way that I de-risked it in my mind, saying that, you know, basically say, even if it fails, it, it, it succeeded. Yeah. And I think that is a helpful way of of, of thinking about any, any new venture. You know, when you start it, think, okay, even if it doesn't go the perfect way that, you know, I'm envisioning, what will I gain from it hmm. that is important? And, and even just for that, it'll be worth it.
0: Right. And if you could kind of sum up your own personal life advice into like a nice motivational quote, what would that sound like? What, what, what would Val be telling the world that he wants them to do and how he wants them to live their lives? I think if if I could sum it up
1: in a sentence, I would say you can always have another shot at things. Often it feels like, and I feel like this way often, it it feels like what you're doing right now is the most important thing. It is your most important project. If it fails, you won't have another shot. And that is just not the case. Mm. You know, you could be, you know, um, you could be in your 50s, 60s, 70s. You can start at least three or four different businesses in the scope of a few years. So don't worry about it too much. Even if you failed, you can always try again. I think that. That's what I can can say and put on a a magic billboard.
0: Here's how to find Val
1: online. If people want to find out more about Thunkbox and maybe send a card to someone, you can find it at thankbox.com. You can find me on Twitter at ValCanBuild. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Valentin Hinov, although Twitter is probably the best way to, to reach out to me.
0: Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.